Before we open God's word together, let's ask for him to illuminate it to us. Let's pray together. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach us your statutes. With our lips we declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies we delight as much as in all riches. Help us to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways. Then we will delight in your statutes and we will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. And open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me once again to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And our text for this morning will be Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through the first part of verse 18. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. This is God's own word. Let us pay careful attention to it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, When someone you know is in, that you know and you care about is in trouble, you're eager to hear word of how they're doing. Um, And we are blessed to live in a time where you can get word rather quickly. Uh, You can get a text message, you can get an email, you can go on Facebook or any other kind of social media. You can get word very quickly. But of course, back in this day, it was harder to get word. Um, When you knew something was going wrong, it might take a long time before you hear. And so the church probably was well aware that Paul was in trouble, that Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this letter. Uh, They knew that that was happening to him, but didn't know how he was doing. And so it was a wonderful relief to them to receive this letter from his hand, uh, to hear a good report of him, uh, to know that despite his chains, things were going well. Um, But of course, Paul in this section does not begin by saying, I'm doing well. He wants them to be encouraged because the gospel is doing well. That despite his persecution, despite his imprisonment, despite the rivalries that are going on in the church, despite all of that going on, The gospel is advancing, and the whole church should be encouraged by that fact. That's really the the amazing thing that is, is revealed to us in this passage. Paul says, you should celebrate with me because the gospel has proved to be unstoppable. The gospel has proved to be unstoppable. And even in the adversity I've been facing, you can be encouraged to know that the gospel is still advancing. 
Um, And it's advancing despite things that would seem to arrest its advance, to stop it, to keep it from going forward. And Paul sort of celebrates these remarkable things that are happening by God's providence. Because what does he say in this passage to show that the gospel has proven to be unstoppable? Well, Paul says in the first place, his chains have freed the gospel. That's the first way the gospel has proved unstoppable. His chains have actually freed it. That's the first thing he says. He says also that his persecution has encouraged it. That's the other way the gospel has proven to be unstoppable. And finally, rivalry has spread it. Um, And so Paul wants them to be encouraged to see just how the gospel is advancing despite all the adversity it's facing. Chains have freed it. Persecution has encouraged it, and rivalry has spread it. And that's what Paul wants to encourage the church in Philippi, and of course, how he wants to encourage us here today. The gospel is unstoppable, and that despite adversity, it still advances. Uh, He says in the first place, his chains have freed the gospel. Um, He makes that point in verse 13. Um, uh, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Um, The imperial guard was that group of 9,000 soldiers that were particularly charged with protecting the emperor, um, sort of his personal bodyguard. And they would be the ones that would have been in charge with watching over prisoners who are appealing to Caesar. You might remember that Paul, as a Roman citizen, had a right to appeal to Caesar. And when he was arrested, he exercised that right. He was arrested in Jerusalem, and they said he's causing disturbances and promoting a false religion. And he said, I'm a Roman citizen, and I demand to appeal to the emperor. And so he's in prison, sort of waiting his trial. And the people who imprisoned you while you were awaiting trial uh, were this, this guard, this imperial guard Um, of the emperor. Now, they were not in prison back then in the way we think of imprisonment, uh, where you go to a prison and there's walls and you're behind bars for a while. They didn't do that. Um, It was harder to be in prison because they didn't take care of you. They chained you to someone, a guard, and then it was your responsibility to make do for your life. It was kind of like being under house arrest, but instead of an ankle monitor, you had a Roman soldier chained to you. Um, And you had him chained to you 24 hours a day. Um, In six-hour shifts, there would have been people chained to the Apostle Paul. Um, And he says, what this has actually done is, it's given me a captive audience for evangelism. Because you can't get away from the Apostle Paul. Um, They would have sat there in six-hour shifts, and that would have given him six hours to work on the Imperial Guard, to let them know what he's in for. You know, you can imagine a guard chain, getting chained up to Paul and say, all right, what's wrong with you? What did you do? Um, and him being able to say, well, I'm in chains for Christ. Well, who's Christ? You can imagine how that goes, and there's no way to get away. Um, I've, I've found as a pastor, there's sometimes in conversation, people say, well, you know, what do you do? If you're just having a little conversation with somebody. The minute you say pastor, they get this worried look on their face, like, oh, no, this guy's going to try to save me. Um, and I'll say, I'm going to try to save you, but I'm not chained to them. They can get away. Uh, These guys could not get away from Paul, and they would just keep rotating through. So every six hours, a new guard comes on, a new captive audience for evangelism. Uh, 
And what does Paul say has happened as a result of this? Um, Well, he says in verse 13, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard what's going on. I've had a chance to spread it. Um, And we might think about, could Paul ever have had the opportunity to go speak to the imperial guard if he'd been free? Would he have been able to go to the emperor's residence and talk to all of these people? Would he have had this opportunity? No, it was an opportunity that God provided him. A door that he opened despite his chains. That the gospel was able to go forth. The whole imperial guard got to know what was going on with Paul. And not just the guard, but all the rest. Um, Everyone else that would have been connected with the imperial guard, with the emperor's house, from the lowest servant to the highest official who's overseeing his appeal. They all know that Paul is in chains for a particular reason. And what is that reason? My imprisonment is for Christ. I'm not a common criminal. I've been imprisoned for Christ, for his cause. Um, And he could have been able to tell people, and that's That's the lot of those who follow after the Lord. Um, They hated my Lord, they'll hate us too. They arrested him, they arrest us. Um, I suffer and that's part of the privilege of suffering with the Lord, being counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. Uh, Paul could have told them not just the reality of the Christian life, but seeing clearly the purpose God has in suffering, to bring good through it. Uh, Not to wear us down or destroy us through it, but to bring good through it, particularly the advance of the gospel to the whole imperial house. He's in chains, not because he's done something wrong, but for Christ. Um, And and what, what is clearly being taught to the church in this is that it's another one of the great reminders that God gives us is that adversity actually leads to gospel opportunity. And that's so often the case in this world. That's why ancient Christians have testified to the fact that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That when persecution spread the the church out across the world, it also spread the gospel out across the world. And that so often it's been the case that God chooses to use the adversity that's brought on us in this world to advance opportunities for God's word and God's truth and God's servants to be seen and heard in the world. And that's the pattern that God has used throughout the histories, history of the scriptures. Uh, we can think about Joseph going as a slave to Egypt. And God worked great good through that. He gave great opportunity for Joseph to testify to the fact that it was the God he served that gave him wisdom and insight, that enabled him to entangle dreams, untangle dreams for Pharaoh, um, and rule well over the kingdom of Egypt. Um, We can think of later in the scriptures, a little girl going as a slave to Syria and talking to the great commander, Naaman, about how to be cleansed from leprosy and going and finding that there is a man of God who speaks for God in Israel and who can tell him how to become clean. We can think of Daniel going as a slave to Babylon And as kingdoms rise and fall, there is Daniel, the servant of God, continuing to testify to the goodness of God. Uh, Whether it's a teenager 
in the house talking about the diet and not wanting to pollute himself and being given dreams to interpret for King Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's him as an old man being thrown in a lion's den and kept alive. Through all those rise and fall of the kingdoms, there's the servant of God testifying to God and to his truth. And God did that through the Apostle Paul, where he was able to go to Felix, the governor, and Festus, and Agrippa, and ultimately to Caesar, to testify to the truth of the gospel. It's important for us to be reminded of that as Christians, that adversity facing the church and God's people is often an opportunity that God gives for the gospel to be spread. Uh, That this is the way of our God's working. And we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. And we shouldn't fail to take the opportunities when they come to be able to testify richly of the glories of our God. And so Paul wants to encourage the church with those words. um, That I might be bound, but the word is not bound. I might be in chains, but it's actually freed the gospel to go to places we never would have seen it go apart from my imprisonment. Uh, The gospel is unstoppable. Chains free it. Um, And persecution actually encourages it. Uh, We see that also in the church. We might say, look at the opportunities the gospel has outside of the church. Uh, But we might be wondering, what is it doing inside the church? Uh, what, What would happen to the church if persecution started to hit the church? How would the church respond to that? Sure, it's a great opportunity to go out into the world and talk to people about Christ, but how is the church doing in the midst of this persecution? How were they holding up? What are the impact of Paul's chains on them? We might think that the church would be discouraged, uh, that the church would be scattered, right? If Paul's imprisoned, if the church is being persecuted, uh, we might worry that everybody will abandon the ship. Um, Everyone will leave. Everyone will run away. Well, is that what has happened amongst the church? No, Paul says something wonderful has happened as a result of my persecution, my imprisonment. He talks about that in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That does not seem to be the normal reaction. Right? If you know that Paul's been arrested for speaking the gospel, you would have thought that would discourage gospel preaching. Um, that that might discourage people from doing this. But Paul says, actually, the opposite has happened. Uh, it's actually been an encouragement to the church. It's actually provoked the church to be more bold in what they do. It's actually a very remarkable thing to think about how this is happening. How is this confidence built? To say the word is not, you know, it's tough, but we're barely managing to hold on. Pray for us. He says, no, actually, things are going really well. People are really bold in their proclamation of the gospel, and they're bold on account of my imprisonment. Right? By my prison, imprisonment, they've become more encouraged. That's a pretty remarkable thing. Um, how can this confidence be? Well, they're confident, we're told in verse 14, in the Lord. They're confident in the Lord. Maybe they're seeing what the Lord is doing despite his imprisonment to spread the gospel, and they've become encouraged by it. Um, God has built up this confidence in his church. And that's why we shouldn't look at these examples from the scripture and from the history of the church and say, wow, they were great kinds of people. 
I'm not sure I could be that kind of person. Calvin preaching a series of sermons on um, persecution and talking about facing persecution as happened a lot in his day amongst the Reformed brethren, talked about a man who was arrested for preaching the gospel and the government gave him a choice. They said, you can recant of the gospel and we'll cut your head off. So it'll be a quick and clean death. Or you can hold to the gospel and we'll burn you alive. That was the choice they put before him. Um, You're going to die either way. Do you want to die quick or do you want to die hard? Um, And his response was one that we should keep in mind. He said, he who will give me the grace to endure death for his name will surely give me grace to bear the flames. And we read things like that and we say, where does that confidence come from? How can you stand like that in the evil day? Well, it's because you don't stand alone. You don't stand by yourself. You don't stand in your own confidence. It's not your boldness. It's the Lord in you that is doing those things. That's why Calvin, after quoting those words, said, we should look on these words not as those of a mortal man, but of the Holy Spirit. We may thus be sure that God is just as able to give us strength to overcome. Right? There's not small little stories of individuals, a couple of them throughout history, that do these great things. Right? It's a lot of people. It's young people. It's older people. It's, it's simple members of the church, not great theologians that show this kind of boldness in the history of the church. Notice that Paul doesn't say this is true of a few of us or a couple of the people in the church. You know, I'm suffering, but a few of us have been really bold. What does he say in verse 14? Most of the brothers. This is not the exception. These are not exceptional people. They're actually the rule. Most of them. Um, Unless we be tempted to think this is just most of the men who've been strong. This word, you know, brothers in the scriptures mean the brethren, which includes brothers and sisters. And so Paul is really saying most of the brothers and sisters have been emboldened to speak in confidence for Christ, whether that's in the official preaching ministry or whether that's just in their interactions with people around them. This has been an encouragement to all the churches. It has filled us all with confidence to speak with boldness for Christ. And that, that should encourage us again to know that's the reality of the church in the world. That's always been the case in church history. That's clearly the case here in the Word of God. That adversity builds up the church. You can't persecute it out of existence. You can't kill it. It ever lives like its master. That the church is immortal because it's united to the Lord who is immortal, who is invincible, who stands there in the book of the Revelation and says, they killed me, but where am I now? I was dead, but I'm alive evermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hand. They killed me, but I'm alive. And now who's in charge of death? I've got him by the neck. And if we're united to him, we have a life like his. The church is the body of the one who is the head, the eternal one. It's united to that vine that is an ever-giving vine, to the ever-living church. You can't kill the church. 
And the more you try, the more it spreads. That's the glory of what Paul is celebrating. And that's so important for the church to remember. When we look down the corridor of the future and wonder what the church of the future is going to be like. What it's going to be like for our children or our children's children. We sometimes worry about that. What will the church face in the future? We're, we're worshiping without fear today. Will that be true of the church in 20 years here? 50 years? What will be true of it then? And, and we can sometimes start to wring our hands and worry about where will the church be. And however long the Lord tarries before he comes, the church will be just as unstoppable 20 or 50 years from now as it is today. And if they persecute us, it'll only spread the church. You can't kill what is ever living and immortal. The world could not kill the church any more than it can kill Christ, who is alive forevermore. And that's the encouragement that the church has to take in this world. Should we face more persecution in the world, that will only mean the spread of the gospel. That will only embolden us to do the work more. Um, We'll just be like silver tried by the fire, purified uh, by that work. That's the confidence we can have when we see this. That's the calling of the church, to suffer as its Lord suffered. That's what the author of Hebrews reminds us of in Hebrews 13, 12 to 14. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We shouldn't be surprised that we don't have a comfortable lot in life here. This is not our home. Um, we, We are from a different place. We are strangers and sojourners here. Our citizenship is in heaven. But Christ will build his kingdom through whatever comes to the church in this world. And that's the confidence we have. Our Lord has said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Paul's experiencing that inside the church. Even though the church environment is not perfect. Right? We would like to think that this kind of persecution and suffering would bring the church together. But Paul says, no, there is still rivalry in the church. And yet, even through that rivalry, the gospel has been spread. Um, it's sad to think that there are people in Rome who, seeing the Apostle Paul and his affliction, preach Christ with a goal of making Paul's lot in life worse. Um, Paul says that that is the sad reality of the church in Rome, um, the church where he is imprisoned. He said, yes, there are divided motivations. It's a sad thing to see in the church. He says there are some who are preaching Christ out of rivalry and envy. It's not everyone. There are those who are preaching Christ from goodwill. uh, But there are also those who are preaching Christ from rivalry and envy. And what is their purpose? Um, Well, it's kind of sad. Um, They desire to increase Paul's affliction. They're trying to make things worse for the Apostle Paul. They don't like him and they see this as their opportunity, not just to advance themselves, uh, but to make things worse for him. 
Um, it's hard for us to know exactly what direction they're trying to do this, but it might be that they're preaching Christ and wanting the cause of Christ to spread, and they think the more the cause of Christ spread, the harder it's going to be on Paul, because the Roman authorities are going to see the effect that that's having in the world. Um, maybe they just see this as their opportunity to advance their own name, right? Too many people have been paying attention to Paul, now it's my chance for people to pay attention to me. There are people who are preaching Christ from rivalry and insincerity. Um, Of course, there are others who are motivated by love, who are not preaching the gospel from false motives, who want to be true partners in the gospel. And how does Paul feel about all of this? Right? So again, a reminder that people in scriptures are often better sorts of people than we are. Um, because how we, might we react if someone's preaching the gospel trying to make things worse for us? We can ask ourselves that question, but how does Paul answer that? Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. He's saying, if they get the gospel right, I don't care why they're preaching Christ. I don't care that they're preaching Christ to hurt me. What I'm celebrating is that Christ is being preached. The gospel is going forth. Now we know he would not have said this had they been messing up the gospel. They have to have been getting the gospel right, preaching the truth, just preaching the truth from sinful motives. Um, Paul later will call false teachers dogs and enemies of the cross. So it can't be that these people are getting the gospel wrong. But it's a reminder to us, you can get the gospel right, but still be preaching from the wrong motive. Not from goodwill and love as we ought to, but from selfishness and rivalry and Paul says, you know, even though their motives are not right and they're, they're preaching Christ as a pretense to advance themselves, what do I care about that so long as Christ is preached? My sole goal is that Christ's name would be advanced, that his gospel would go forward, that people would learn the truth, that the Lord of heaven came down to earth to die for sinners, to offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice that sets us free. And to let people know that they can have life in his name if they put their trust in him. Paul says, as long as that message is going out that the dying world needs to hear, what do I care if they're trying to hurt me through it? Christ is preached. You know, would that we would all have that same love for the gospel. We wouldn't care even if someone was preaching it to try to hurt us. As long as the gospel is going out in truth and Christ's name was being advanced, we would celebrate that. Right? Paul's not celebrating rivalry. He's not celebrating selfish ambition. But he's saying, if you're trying to hurt me by preaching the gospel, you better figure out another way to do it. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. Christ is being preached. That's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. And I can come to you as the Philippian church or he can come to us through the word of God today and say, you know what? Christ is being preached. And imprisonment has not stopped it. Chains haven't stopped it. It's actually set it free. 
Persecution hasn't stopped this. actually emboldened the church. The people that hate me try to preach to hurt me. doesn't matter. Christ is being preached. The church in that day needed to hear that. The gospel can't be stopped, and adversity only advances it. We today need to hear that. The gospel can't be stopped. Adversity will only advance it. That's the hope that God's people have in this world. That's the glory of this passage, where Paul begins in verse 12. We end where we began. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's the glory of what's going on here. One commentator said, circumstances that are so obviously discouraging or perplexing can be turned around by God and his providential activity. How sad and serious it is if a church or a Christian does not count on this happening or fails to see it when it does. We have to remember that as a church. We'll conclude with that. When you see the clouds gathering on the horizon for the church and things look dark, and it looks like there's no hope ahead. We have to expect that there's going to be a bright and sunshining day on the other side. Because the gospel cannot be stopped. Christ will build his church. And there's nothing in this world that the devil advances that can stop it. Um, and so that should be our great hope for the future. We should not, even though we're Calvinists, have a grim view of the future. Um, we joke sometimes that Calvinist comfort is cheer up, things could be worse. Um, but the gospel tells us cheer up because if things get worse, the gospel will still go forward. You can't stop it any more than the devil could have stopped the Lord from saving. So let's cling to that hope to know that whatever comes to us in this world will only serve to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that, might we rejoice. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we confess that we so often see the discouraging and perplexing circumstances that the, that the church is faced with in this day. Um, and oftentimes we are filled with anxiety and fear would you help us to meditate on these words that you've given us, the Spirit's words, the words of confidence and boldness that celebrate what he's doing in the world? And instead, may we say we can't wait to see what the Spirit of God will do in the world. We can't wait to see how adversity for the church will be turned into gospel opportunity for the advance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for the kingdom to continue to be built. We pray for steadfastness in the church, that we might endure the evil day, that we might follow the example of our Lord who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised its shame and has entered into your rest. Help us to enter and to live as he did, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.